What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another podcast. How you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back on and doing the show, man. Let's get it going. Yeah, definitely excited. So before we jump into the podcast, guys, we want to throw a big thanks out to all the partners of the podcast. So uh, first, I'd like to thank um, Boss Shot Shell. Um, we've been both rocking Boss Shot Shell all season long. Um, here currently, I've been really falling in love with the number fours out of the two and three quarter from my 12 gauge shotgun. Um, just bringing an absolute smackdown to uh, the Canadian, the Canada <laughs> geese. So, um, you know, it's definitely been something that you really can see kind of the performance of going with that boss copper coated bismuth um, against those Canada's uh, American made company. Um, I've actually been there a couple times right out of Michigan. Um, so definitely some great guys out there as well. Um, you know, I guess just the, the biggest benefits of that is just having more kind of bang in your shot. Um, you have a higher density pattern with higher density loads um, as far as, you know, heavier bismuth compared to steel. So um, definitely make sure to check them out. Um, you can check them out through the link in the show notes or the description um, and let them know that we sent them your way. Guys, if you have not had a chance to go over to htrinnovations.com website and check out their products, it's actually our very own Jordan's company. And some of these products he's actually had a hand in designing. They've got an awesome A-frame that I've used multiple times, a layout pad that I use in my layout boat, a gun stand where you can put your gun and your bag on, especially when you're in the muck. And the newest product I know that Jordan's really excited about is the Quack Pack. It's like a layout blind and a decoy bag combination. Product code over there is Duck Gun, Duck Space Gun. You get 10% off and free shipping. So if you're excited about any of those items, I know I have. I've got three of them myself. I uh, hope I can twist Jordan's arm. I can get a Quack Pack too. But um, head on over there and check that out because they've got some really good stuff going on. Awesome. And, uh, you know, make sure to check with all these partners we got. Um, right now, this time of year, we've got Christmas sales rolling through. So perfect time to check out all of them. Um, Gunner Kennels, we'd like to be, give a big thanks out to Gunner Kennels as well. Um, Elliot and I have both been rocking the large um, kennel on our duck hunting trips. Perfect throw in the back of your truck, tie it down. It's safe, it's secure. You got peace of mind. Five star crash test rating. Um, and they got their patented double wall roto molded design on that. And, you know, there's just nothing safer than that. Um, here recently, they ran another story of someone who was in a car accident and their dog just went away with no harm and that kennel kept them safe. So, um, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about them. Um, and what they got over there, if you got a dog, a hunting partner, and man's best friend, you know that you got to keep them safe. And the Gunner Kennel is going to be your best bet with that. So um, make sure to check them out using code DuckGunSpace10 for 10% off your next order. Guys, if you are like me and jerk rigs have always just gotten on your nerves and you found them to be extremely frustrating to use, this new Motion Ducks spreader that i've been using this year is what you want to get it is just a jerk rig taken to the next level it is easy to pick up easy to put out there and it looks fantastic ducks are kind of in a flock instead of in a single line um, it's just a brand new motion system you can either get a four duck or a seven duck decoy spreader and it really i mean it has changed my thoughts on jerk rigs completely i've always wanted jerk rigs because i know they're effective 
just the application of them has always been uh, annoying to me. But this motion duck spreader will take all that away and you will not regret it. The product code over there is duck gun, no space, all capitals. You get 10% off free shipping and a free anchor bag. Now the free anchor bag will not show up on your cart, um, but it definitely will come in the mail. So that's something that you want to get your hands on and get in use right now because it's a phenomenal product. Awesome. Um, also, we'd like to throw a big thanks out to Bandit, Avery, and Greenhead Gear. They're all over one umbrella over there, um, one of our partners for the podcast as well. Um, but, you know, Elliot and I have been both rocking a lot of their gear this season. Um, I'll just name a couple of my favorites that I've been using is their, uh, it's the hard shell backpack. Um, it's like a blind bag, but a lot bigger. And, um, it, I mean, it's just awesome because you can get so much stuff in it. It's got so many pockets, so many um, places to put all your gear. And, you know, I probably will have a hard time ever switching back to a blind bag after using that hard shell backpack. Uh, I mean, it's just really, really awesome. If you haven't, you know, make sure to check those out. Um, super cool. Also, breathable waders. They got the 2.0 um, Red Zone waders. It's their new version of the original um, Red Zone waders. Uh, better and um, better than the, the previous version. And, uh, you know, once you've kind of used breathable waders, you're going to have a hard time switching to neoprene or going back to neoprene. I know I've used neoprene forever before that, and now it's going to the breathable for hunting as well. Um, it's just perfect, you know, especially in the colder weather. You're not going to have to worry about it freezing. Um, you're not going to have that standing effect of you, you. Everyone's seen the social media pictures with the neoprene waders just standing straight up. It's super hard to, to walk around when everything freezes up like that. And, and breathable, you don't have those kind of issues. And a lot of people kind of worry about warmth in them, but, you know, just layer up and you're going to be good to go. So big thanks out to them. And then lastly, you know, big thanks to all of you guys, all of our listeners. You guys are the backbone. You know, I say it every week, but you guys truly are the backbone of our community, the podcast, and, and this uh, podcast and this venture that me and Elliot are on together. Um, it would be nothing without the awesome community we have that's come together on this podcast. All righty. Well, I think right now is probably a good point to go ahead and jump right into the podcast. And let's do it. I'm excited about this one. <laughs> I'm just really excited to be doing the podcast. Well, I feel like that you and I have kind of, uh, we haven't been talking hardly at all lately. I feel like, <laughs> you know, maybe we took a little you know, relationship break. Oh yeah. It's been, <laughs> been rough. <laughs> All righty. I'm going to go ahead and play the intro and then we'll jump right into the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart and having a fun time while doing it and shooting limits. Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. And we are back. We've been a little bit of intermittent podcast here lately. Um, sickness, traveling, technical difficulties, getting the new system all up and ready to go. So how you doing, Elliot? And I am ready to roll on this, man. We've been we've been gone too long. I'm ready to get this thing going. <laughs> I am as well. So, um, yeah. Before we jump into the main topic, and the topic for tonight is we're going to be talking about controversial waterfowl topics, and this is kind of it goes in line with our last podcast where we talked about um, them as well, but or not them as well, but we 
we actually asked you guys. We put a post out there in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun and got questions from you guys. So, again, on this topic, we got some of your guys' questions and issues or controversial questions or topics to run over. And kind of this is, I don't know, I kind of, I really we really enjoyed the first one, having the kind of back and forth with the audience. Um, so I've kind of thought of a name for it, kind of. Um, I said it last time, um, you ask and we answer. So we're going to do another uh, you ask and we answer series, but this time on the controversial topics. Now, are we going to take anything from the live feed or is this all from what people put on Facebook? Um, it's just it's just from the Fellowship of the Duck Gun right now. Um, <laughs> you know, if we, see, if we see something, we might snag it from the live stream, but um, we got a, a bunch to answer um, from the Fellowship too, so... Uh, it should be good on that end. Um, but before we jump into the main topic, um, I wanted to tell you a story, Elliot, and I know <laughs> you love, you love these kind of stories. So do you doing something squirrely, isn't it? Oh yeah. Your favorite. So. <laughs> All right. Hit me, man. Let's hear it. <laughs> so, you know, last week we had, we had plans to do the, the podcast and it fell through because I actually had fever. I had the flu, um, unfortunately. But, you know, that's just how it rolls sometimes. But, um, <laughs> so long story short, uh, you know, I'm just sitting on the couch. I got a 100-plus fever. And um, it was kind of weird because it was on and off, on and off. And I felt kind of bad, but then I wouldn't. And so I, like, woke up. This is, like, day two of it. And I hadn't eaten in, like, two days. So I go and I get a snack. And, of course, you have the fever. Like, what are you going to eat? I mean, just whatever's the closest to you. So <laughs> I just ended up eating some Cheetos. No, probably not the best, most solid choice. <laughs> yeah, I know. Not the best, <laughs> most solid choice when you're coming out of fever, haven't eaten in two days. But I was like, it's like I woke up and I was just starving. And I really did. Like the other thing is I didn't know if I had the fever or what, like what was causing this. Um, Cause I was also having bathroom issues. Like I was just, I mean, I had the Hershey squirts. I don't know how else to say it. Just like <laughs> I, I just had terrible Hershey squirts. And um, so I didn't know if it was like something I ate or like I had food poisoning. So I was honestly, I was scared to like eat anything in my fridge too. Um, this is right after Thanksgiving or well, it was the week after we had the in-laws that weekend after Thanksgiving. So we had a bunch of that type of food in the fridge. I'm like, man, I hope I didn't eat like a bad leftover, got food poisoning, got the fever, <laughs> the Hershey squirts, the whole deal. So, um, that's a little bit of background of why I ate the Cheetos. But anyways, I go back and I lay down on the couch, just sweating profusely and I fall back asleep. And, um, that's right before I just hit rock bottom. So <laughs> next thing I know, I wake up and I'm like choking back, like vomit. Like I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. and so I like, we got one of those chairs, like where you got to shut it with your legs. And so I'm like trying as hard as I can to like shut shut the recliner with my legs, and then I go like running to the bathroom, just like trying to make it to the bathroom, just running down the hall, I'm running, running, running. I get to the bathroom. I don't even get to the toilet because I'm just like it's it's literally already coming up. And so I get to the sink <laughs> and uh, just start puking right into our sink. And it was wow. like it, like I said, I hadn't eaten like two days, so it was almost like dry heaves. Besides like the two handfuls of Cheetos I had. So it was just like, oh, nasty. <laughs> it was like bright orange, bright orange Ugh. into the sink, Cheeto vomit. And, and it was like almost like dry heaves. And, uh, <laughs> 
But like the worst part, like I said, rock bottom. Like the worst part of it. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part of it is with with every convulsion of a throw up, I, I literally was having the Hershey squirts right there. <laughs> Just standing up. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, that's why we didn't have a podcast last week. <laughs> hold on, hold on. So that's that's a double threat. Did you urinate at all during this transaction? I did not urinate. Because <laughs> that is the ultimate. That's the triple threat. No, it's just a good old double threat, I guess, then. Uh, well, that's good. I mean, that's still impressive. <laughs> not quite as impressive as the triple threat, but still. Yeah. <laughs> so did you call your wife and then have her help you clean up? No, she was at work. And <laughs> yeah. So if you ever had a clean poop out of your leg hair, now I have. So. Oh, that's so disgusting. <laughs> it was disgusting. I can't. There's no other oh, way to say man. it, man. So, yeah. Yeah. I hate, I hate having the fever. It feels like you're out of your mind. And then it gets even worse mm-hmm. when you have like, I mean, I can't eat anything. I feel like I couldn't drink anything because I just throw it up or puke it up or have Hershey squirts immediately after. So it was a pretty rough. I had it like three or four days right there. So. Pretty rough go of it there for a little bit, but <laughs> I'm glad you came through it this year. Exactly right at this time last year, what well, was over Thanksgiving and nine days after I had that flu and I actually tried to hunt on it once. And I was laying under a tree during the whole hunt. And man, that's, I'd never had something that was nine days. I, I didn't have any experiences as bad as what you just mentioned, but I can't stay. I only, I only get the flu like once every three, four years. I don't, I don't get it that often. Thank yeah. goodness. I hate it. Oh yeah, no, I hadn't. I feel like I haven't had had it in a long time, but I've had a lot of. Yeah, I don't even know. So <laughs> I've had a little rough go. Well, with, I am with stuff. I like am that. glad that you're back in business and ready to go because it's been way too long since for us to get out as few as podcasts as we have. But I will say, I it, it has re-energized me. I think maybe I I personally may have needed that little lull. Um, that little few weeks off. I didn't realize that I did, I guess, but I think yeah. maybe I did just for recharging a little bit. Oh yeah. It definitely gets like this time of year and all like throughout the year um, with all the content we put out, it's just like, go, go, go. I mean, since September 1st, it's just been nonstop, um, you know, hunting, producing the content, you know, pr- producing all the hunt videos and then um, the podcast and live streams on top of it. So, you know, um, it can wear on you through the season. So like you said, it is, it is a good, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate we missed some there with all everything, but it's also kind of, I mean, I'm definitely regenerate, rejuvenated, energized, and ready to get back on the podcast train. So um, like yeah. we said, yeah, me too. the podcast topic for tonight, controversial ones, you ask, we answer. Well, actually, we ask you, and then <laughs> you ask us, and now we're going to give you the answers. So um, first one we got up. From Zachary Conrad, and um, the mo- the the question, the part of the question that intrigues me the most is calling at birds over other people's spreads. So, first off, have you ever done it, Elliot? Oh, I'm sure I have inadvertently. Honestly, this one does not bother me as bad as it does a lot of other people. Um, if I see birds locked up on someone else's spread, then I'm going to probably be silent during that time. But as, I mean, as long as they're circle, first of all, we try really, really hard to not get in a position where we have to deal with that. 
because you're talking, you know, if you're inside of 200 yards, that's a big issue. If you get 250 yards plus, it really is not that big of an issue. So, I mean, we try so hard not to be set up close to people that this just is not an issue for us at all. We've had no problems with other people being around us this entire year uh, or that last year for, for that matter too. So, um, but in that situation, I, I think that um, if they're locked up and you really tell they're committed, then lay, then lay off. Um, at the same time, if they're, if they're, locked up on mine and the other people are calling and it's repetitive that way, I'll probably go ahead. And if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it. But that's, that's one that's never been as big of a sticking point for me as other people. I guess I just haven't had that many experiences where I feel like people are calling my birds off, off of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm the same way. Um, I would like to get there, but you know, sometimes, especially where I hunt, there is times where we're going to be, hunting closer to people than probably what you guys have out there in Kansas. Um, you know, I've been out there. It's just wide open spaces and so many options that I can see you guys. Yeah. I mean, if you have the option, it's always get away from them and never have to worry about that issue. But there is going to be times where it comes up for, for people, um, you know, not a lot of options or somebody comes up and sets up close to you and you can't control it at all. Um, but me personally, yeah. I guess that's when it gets controversial. Like what, let's say Elliot, like you go set up, you talk to the person um, and they're like, no, I'm going to hunt here anyway. And it's like 150 yards from where you set up. It's like behind you. They, they make an argument and you know, it's going to bother you a little bit, but like maybe it's kind of like they're behind you. You can't see them, but it's still like 150 yards. Um, you know, at that point, since they've kind of screwed you, do you feel justified if you call when the birds are working their set? Probably, I, I guess. Um, I mean, I just, if, if my general rule is if they're just generally, if they're circling the marsh, I'm going to call. If their wings are locked and set, I'm not. And that's that's pretty standard in, in everything. I think what bothers me more is just guys in a marsh screaming on a call and not letting up on it. <laughs> that bothers me may, way worse than when they're calling. It is, you know, it, it seems like a lot of guys just want to hail call and hail call and hail call. That bothers me way more than people calling when they're actually uh, over me. I mean, if there's birds that are locked up and coming in, chances are that someone 150, 200 yards away calling is not going to outdo what we've done. But it's the repetitive screaming and not being not being hidden enough for those guys. that is a way bigger issue because if those birds fly over these guys and they're seeing them, and they're screaming at them on their call. The chances are the birds aren't going to land anywhere in the marsh. So to me, that's the big, the big issue. It's not actually when those guys are calling. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like you know, it, it can be pretty tempting, you know, calling. You really want the birds to work into your set, but I think it's probably better for everybody because once you do that, it's going to be a war of everybody calling and calling the hardest. Like if they're working over somebody's set, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, hopefully, you know you being good to people and they'll be good to you, but you know, no guarantee. That's one of the struggles, many, many struggles of public land for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I would have a bigger issue with people setting up downwind for me as well um, mm -hmm. than I would the calling guys just come in and set up 100, 150 yards right downwind. So that when you are working birds, they're swinging right over guys. That's, that's super annoying. Yep. Um, next one we got from Dylan. And he wants to know, how do you decide who to invite when you have room for three guys, but six guys want to go? 
I think this is going to defer way more to you than it is to me. Cause I've never really had this problem. I, uh, my, my, my hunting groups are small. And even, even at the heyday of FDH, we still only had five guys. And so I just, this is not an issue that I've, I've had. It's always just me and my dad. And then it was Dan for a while and Dan Naden, but I've just have never really had this issue. So I want you to take this one. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, you know, whoever's hunted is, is going to have the final say, you know, they invite who they want to invite. Um, if they got room after that, you know, maybe you can invite somebody. Um, I guess, you know, this guy saying in his instance, he's only got room for three, but six want to go. I mean, it's just going to have, there's so many ver like variations of what could possibly go be going on with your group. But um, I don't know, man, that's really a, a tough one. Um, you know, if you only got a spot where th the birds are working and it's just three people, you know, I, I probably would only take three people and you're just going to have to <laughs> do your best to decide who gets to go. Um, you know, for me, it's whoever's doing the scouting and doing the most work and all that kind of stuff. They obviously get first pick. Um, always get invited first. Whoever's doing the work, putting in the work, um, you know, whether it's preseason or right then. And if all six are doing the work, man, um, hopefully you got a second spot where – three of the other guys can go or something like that. I guess that, that'd be my, my bet, you know, and maybe if you're one of the three and you got another spot, maybe you, you head off with some of the other guys and you split up, but um, you know, that's definitely a tough one. I would say also, I try very hard to just be really careful about who I hunt with. Um, I mean, it's kind of like when you, if you're single and you're dating at some point you date enough that the Friday night date becomes implied. And you don't even have to say, are we doing something? It's just an implied thing with, with your girlfriend. It's kind of the same thing with hunting. If you bring someone into your group and you get really close, then it's just kind of implied that there's a hunt going on and you guys just hunt together. So I try to be really, really thoughtful about who I hunt with, how much I hunt with them, because I don't ever want to get into a situation where there's maybe someone that I don't want coming every time or someone that I like hunting with sometimes but don't really want them a part of my every single weekend crew um so i just i to be really careful about who you hunt with and how much you hunt with them from the start i think is is important yeah i think that's definitely important but i think a lot of people are going to be coming at it from a different angle than you elliot because you're you're somewhat of the ringleader of your group in a way i don't know how you want to say it but um yeah. you know a lot of people going in are not going to be the people kind of <laughs> the ringleaders of their group or whatever. Um, and you do have something really unique where it's just your same group all the time going together. Almost, almost no variation to that. You know, um, for me, I know I hunt with the H dark crew a lot and that's kind of like my main crew. If not, it's just, you know, for me, it's kind of, I go on my own and maybe I invite when I'm not hunting with them, I invite one person. So I have a lot of different people I hunt with that aren't just the main crew who can't be, as hardcore as me, you know, people at different parts of their life where <laughs> they just can't go all the time, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, there is definitely going to be a lot of situations out there, and I guess it's just going to be up to you to um, fill it out and do the best you can with, with your group. Those are good points. All right. Um, next one we got is, which it kind of goes a little bit hand-in-hand hand with this, but um, your thoughts on bringing your hunting friend to a public land hotspot and they go back to hunt it without you. Yikes. <laughs> well, <clears throat> if I'm going to take someone, I've got a core set of places that 
I will don't want people to know about. I've got I, I've got not a really intricate knowledge of the places that I hunt. So there's plenty of places that I will be willing to share with people. If I go out with someone that's a casual friend, I can show them 15, 20 places that I don't care if they know about. And then there's a handful of places that I only, I'm very careful um, who I tell them about and who I take there. And if I do decide to take them there, it's going to be stated up front what the conditions are. Um, if I take you here, um, I would I would expect I would expect that you never to go back to this place without talking to me, calling with me, and conferring with me. And I know Aiden and I had um, when I started taking Aiden. Um, when he got inside of the group to where I was showing him everything, um, he was a new hunter and I don't think he quite understood that. And we had to have, you know, um, it got to the point where he understood he had to ask permission on some of these places. And then we hunted them so much together. They were both our places and we became so close. But um, if I'm going to show someone a place that I care that much about, I'm going to state it up front what the expectations are. And then if they go back, man, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess you just have to have a conversation about it. But if they go back um, once, you just yeah, you have a conversation about it. If they go back twice, you start booby trapping it, <laughs> or you stop just stop showing them places. I, I oh, yeah. just be very very careful who show your honey holes. Hunt them by yourself before you go and just take anyone there. Um, yeah. I, I would because if you if you if you don't know whether you can trust that person or not, and you show them one of your most secret prized places, next thing you know. Um, they're going, they're telling other people about it, you know, it, it, it can ruin it. So just be very careful. Of, I wouldn't just fill a spot and take anyone to your best spots. Yeah. You know, I mean, it would probably be safe to, like you said, don't go to your best spots with them, which can be hard. You know, if it, the birds are there, I mean, you just got to make sure you trust somebody because it's really, really hard. Like I, I don't have very many spots at all, public land that are like secretive, and you know but there are a few and if you show those it'd be real quick they wouldn't be um if you couldn't trust this person you know so it's like yeah i definitely would be super careful you don't want to lose any of your spots i mean for me it's like i mean those spots are invaluable because there's just not that many around so yeah i definitely be careful make sure you can trust them and if that starts to happen once that happens i guess the question is that's already happened um you know and talk to them and you don't take them back to another spot till you can trust them. And I would say for those of you that may not know, he, here's the, the general unwritten rules for this type of thing. So if someone takes you to a spot that you did not know existed and you had never been there, you are not allowed to go back and you don't even ask permission for a while. So if, if my friend Charlie, um, he took me to a spot one time and I kind of wanted to hunt it the next week, but you just can't. And you, you can't even ask the next week. It's just too soon. It's just too soon. And then as time goes on, you can say, hey, you know, um, you remember that spot we went to? How would you feel um, if I went back there? You know, that, that type of thing. But if you don't know this place exists and someone takes you to it, you do not go back. Even if it's, it's public land. We're talking about public land spots. We're not talking about private. You do not go back there if you were introduced um, by that spot to that person. Um, in fact, there's this place that Charlie introduced me to. Um, I've never been in there. I know he shoots ducks in there and there's times that I'm to the point now I probably would, but it's just, that's, that's Charlie's spot. And he showed it to me. I didn't know about it. So you just don't go, you just don't go back. So that's another thing is that you want to make clear to people which spots you do and don't know about, because you don't want someone 
like saying, trying to act like they're introducing you to a spot that you're already aware of and you have hunted. Um, because if you already know of it and you've hunted it and someone, you go with someone for the first time, you know, that's not their spot. You're already aware of it. You've hunted it. Uh, my friend Jason, I kind of have that weird kind of situation um, because he has a, the number one place he hunts. And then there's the number one place that I hunt and they're within a mile from each other. And so he took me to um, his spot the first time we ever hunted together, but I had been there and I had hunted it. And then I started feeding him information about the spot that I always go to. And he had been there and he had hunted it. And we've never even talked about this, but the way that it works, it's just naturally played out. If I'm going to that spot that I know is his number one spot, I talk to him in advance about it. And if he's going into the spot that I'm going into, he calls me, are you guys going in there? And he always kind of gives me first priority at where I want to set up and everything. It's a really good relationship, the way that it works. And there's been one time he's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to hunt that Saturday. Would you mind not hunting that Friday? And we just show each other a lot of respect for these two places because there are our absolute number one honey holes and it's, it's worked out perfectly. We share information now and everything, but you just have to be really, really courteous about other people's places and, and, and the understanding of how it works can get a little complex. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So definitely a, <laughs> um, a topic you never want to have happen in your group or anything go wrong with that. So, all right, let's go ahead and jump to the next one. Um, and this one's from Tyler Hunt, and he asks, um, the impact of new age hippie YouTube gangster hunters with their piles and limits, bro, positive or negative, and your thoughts as fellow YouTube hunters. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to hit on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so take you it away. You want me to take it first? Yeah, You want ahead. me to take it first? Okay. Um. Hmm. I, I, let me let me collect my thoughts as to what I want to say and don't say I'll, about this. I'll go ahead I, then. I'll, I'll start with it. So I will say that there are a number of people out there that are condoning skybusting and spraying into flocks and what I would consider to be showing the improper way to waterfowl hunt. And I think the biggest concern is the lack of respect that they have for wild animals is, is the biggest concern for me It's the sky busting and the spraying into flocks. You know, if you got eight guys or 11 guys or whatever, and you're field goose hunting and you know, you've got 30 birds out there and you hear a guy say, well, what do you think? Should we take it? Should we take it? And 11 people unload with three shots each and you see one or two birds fall out. Think of how many birds are flying away with steel in them. There's a lot. There's a lot. And that's my biggest concern. I, I'm not that concerned about people. If someone's number one intent is to make piles, I don't, that doesn't really bother me that much if that's their number one goal. Um, the problem with it is that it becomes the expectation for people that are just getting into hunting and they think if they don't shoot a limit, then they haven't um, succeeded. And so therefore they stretch their limits and they start sky busting and they start winging birds. And, but yeah, I think it's a problem. I, I think that the impact of um, a lot of YouTube channels and their irresponsibility towards the game and not wounding them and taking proper shot selection, I think it is a big problem. I think it's a major problem. So here's, And I don't know. Here's the next question, kind of add on that. You know, you're saying like with the sky busting and all that, you think that that's always been an issue and that it's just more that it's come to 
your awareness seeing people on YouTube channels doing it? Because I feel like it probably has been. You know, some of the people that I've ran across, you know, just in public marshes and boat launches and stuff like that, um, it just seems like that's the way some people hunt. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just, I just wonder if it's like, it just, it's more aware, like there's more awareness to that actually happening because of seeing other people's hunting practices. Then it's like more people doing it now. Well, yeah, I, I definitely, absolutely. It's always taken place. I remember 10 years ago, I made, I made the mistake of posting on a forum and the title of my thread was 85% of duck hunters are skybusters. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunt where I laid in a marsh and watched this, these guys in the boat, just spray ducks all over the marsh. And, and I, I you know, 85%, whatever. And my, my point was just that way too many duck hunters shoot unethical shots. And I, I still believe that I, I still, and I, I need to be careful where I say this. I still think your average duck hunter doesn't have a proper shot selection. And I think your average duck hunter um, cripples way more birds than they realize. And I, and I don't think that, that enough duck hunters think about all the birds they're putting steel into that they don't even realize are, are flying away with steel. And I think it's a major, major problem. Um, but the problem with this YouTube thing is you've got, as, as duck dynasty came through, you had a big influx of people that came into, well, duck dynasty came through, especially in the Midwest, right as there was a major decline of the upland bird population in the, in the Midwest. So um, it used to be when I grew up that, you know, lots of people pheasant and quail hunted, quail hunted, it, it was a thing. And now it's not, it's, it's just kind of a forgotten side piece. So with, with duck dynasty, your average person that doesn't even waterfowl hunt was walking wearing, wearing shirts about duck hunting and with duck dynasty guys. And there's, you had this big inflow of new people into the sport and, but they were at least modeling after guys that had good ethics and that could, you know, if you were watching ducks dynasty and you really got into all their videos, you were understanding kind of the proper way to do things. The problem here is that with a, a lot of um, the YouTube rush that's being brought in, it's a younger crowd and they don't have any mentors. And so who they're being mentored by are guys who publicly condone sky busting and they say it guys that publicly are okay with 11 people spraying into flocks. And so these guys become the mentors because they're doing how to videos and they become the experts. And, and so they're, you've got this whole younger group of, you know, 16 to 27 year olds that are coming into the sport and they're using these guys as their mentors and they're being taught if it, you don't shoot a pile, you know, the whole point is to, is to, put, you know, a hundred ducks in a pile and spell out numbers or, you know, and, and they're showing, telling them sky busting's okay. So they don't have a mentor and they're being mentored by something that's negative to the sport. And so, although I do think that there was plenty of sky busters before we're getting this influx of people that just don't understand how sacred the life of, of an animal is and how much you have to respect it. And, and, it, it's a problem and how what it'll look like in five years 10 years i don't know um but it's certainly i i think a major problem mm. so uh, one other thing i've heard from other people kind of to add on to that is that um you know it's no secret that kind of duck or well hunting people who hunt the percentage of people who hunt in the population is going down like hunter numbers are kind of staying about the same, but the population is growing. So percentage-wise, 
Um, and so it's like, yeah, we have a lower percentage of the population that hunts than ever before. So is getting people introduced to hunting no matter what a good thing or to some extent does it hurt? I missed that, what you said. I was, can you repeat that? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was, I was daydreaming, reading one of the thread posts. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so with, um, with hunter numbers kind of not necessarily growing as far as the percentage of the population that hunts, which, you know, that is a major issue that we're going to run into in the future. Um, when it comes to legislation and all that, the more hunters we can have, the better. So at what point is it harmful to introduce hunters with kind of some of these practices that aren't, aren't great, um, opposed to people not getting, um, introduced at all. So there's gotta be some kind of happy medium there. So kind of what are your thoughts on that? I think that the stat I read recently is that during a given season, you get two and a half to three and a half million ducks that are crippled. And at some point, the anti hunters are going to get a hold of these statistics. Um, and I've referred to it as waterfowl's dirty little secret. And the general public has no idea how many, how many birds get wounded and i don't mean wounded and then you clean them up with a with a cleanup shot i'm talking about birds flying away with stealing them and then in the marsh and dying later i think that if the anti-hunting groups got a hold of some serious data about how irresponsible some of these shot selections are and about how many crippled wounded birds there are in every given every given hunt day i think we would have major major problems on our hands so i would I certainly would not advocate for more hunters who are going to have unethical practices towards animals and not properly respect them. And so, I mean, I, I just, I don't know how to, what has to be done to turn the tide on, on education on yep. this type of thing, or whether it's even a lost cause, I don't know, but I, I'm not for a whole rush of guys in their twenties that sky bust and flock shoot. Yeah. I, I just, I don't care what the numbers are. Okay. Just playing, you know, playing devil's advocate on that. But, yeah. you know, you never can have that conversation with anybody or that education there if they're not a hunter, right? So it's like, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's tough to say. I feel like even with, you know, overall, like whatever you want to call it, the hippie piles, limits, bro, whatever, whatever the question was, however he stated it that there is still some like benefit to people being introduced to duck hunting. And, you know, maybe if they have a rough start, cause for me, I didn't know what I was doing when I started, but now here I am and I'm way more ethical than when I started. So it's like, you know, we got to introduce people somehow and definitely have some problems with it. Like you stated, but I definitely think it's good to introduce people to duck hunting and that it becomes more mainstream. So yeah, but it, you know, it's just who's who's going to mentor them? Who's going to transition them from where they start at with who their mentors are to bring them over to ethical shot selection? Who who where's going to be that gap? Yeah. Um I no. know like even like with Golden Boy when I met him, his shot selection, he wasn't a skybuster, but his shot selection sucked. Yeah. And now if you watch his you watch his videos, 
he is unbelievably disciplined with his shot selection. Sometimes he has whole flocks land and he doesn't even shoot. And, and that was there because my dad and I were there to mentor him and to show them the emotional benefit and the benefit to the animal to having a conservative shot selection. So yeah. these guys that are coming on this wave, where, who's that, where are they going to get that from? Who's going to transition them? Maybe well, just age. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's just on all of us as hunters, you know, just whenever you can. And it's definitely a difficult way. Cause you don't want to come across as like, like a know it all or somebody's going to turn people off, but like too, you know, it just is, like you said, it is our responsibility um, as hunters, as stewards of, hunting and the animals that we hunt, um, you know, for all that, for education, for the survival of the sport, for the survival of the species, like, you know, so it's just, yeah, uh, it is definitely a controversial subject there, but, yeah, um, good I, question. Yeah. Good question. And let's jump to the next one. Scrolling. Um, use of spinning wing, when spinning wing decoys, and why are they a crutch to hunters that don't know how to work ducks? <laughs> you gonna start on this one, or? Well, it's a crutch because they work so dang well. <laughs> like I feel naked without one. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, and I commented back to this at the Facebook page, and and my comment was, what. How, what's bringing you to the determination that it's a crutch for people? Um, wh where are you gathering that? It sounds like an elitist statement. And, yeah. I, and I, and I don't mean, I don't mean, I don't want to try to offend anyone, but are you hunting with these, all these guys that you're assuming that you're watching? You're like, Oh wow. I'm, it's just a crutch for them. Or are you just <laughs> like, well, I'm so good at calling that I bet it's, a, and I hear these other guys calling. And so I know it's just their spinner. It's, I, I don't, I don't know. Here, here, I'll play devil's that... advocate on it, right? So, okay, okay. So I'm the guy asking the question, right? Let's let's just say that if you are someone who can make the perfect spread, you can add motion to your spread a different way. Maybe the motion stuck decoy spreader. Um, you have excellent calling. You have group calling. You have perfect concealment. Everything. Um, I can see how like the mojo might be a crutch. Like if, yeah, it really works really well, right? So it's like if you have two guys and they're on an even playing field and they don't use the mojo and this guy over here is better at all that. He's going to kill more birds than the guy who doesn't. So I, I can see that a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think that, that there, I certainly don't like to be without a spinner because every time I pull one and then I put it back, it's always better with, but it's just not effective. Like it used to be. It's just not the first couple of years it came out. I was forced to get a spinner because there were several days where I was out there in the marsh and I should be killing ducks and they were ignoring me and dropping right in on spinners. I mean, it happened. I was like really late on the game, like a year or two after they came out, I missed the first two golden years that everyone talked about. And I, I watched them be effective for everyone else. Cause I didn't want to get them, but it's, it's just not that way anymore. And, and no doubt they're effective. Um, but I don't think that they're effective enough. They're not going to supersede concealment. They're not going to supersede someone just screaming on their duck call and, and, and scaring them. They're not that effective anymore. Um, if, if you are in the right location where ducks want to be, they will help you and they will, they will benefit you, but not to the point where you can just lean on them and be terrible at calling and be terrible at concealment and be terrible at everything else and still do really, really, really well. They're just not that good anymore. Yeah. 
Well, I'll, I'll say the one thing. You can be terrible at all of that at first light and have a mojo out there, and it attracts the ducks and brings them in. But after that, you know, once you yeah. get to light, you have to have good concealment. You know, if you have ducks that are working and are a little weary, a lot of times you got to be able to call to circle them back in and get them to land in the decoys. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not a 100% crutch for sure. But I can yeah. see how, you know, if you're better than somebody at all the other stuff, you know, you know, just put a mojo out there like they are, and you're going to still kill more ducks than them. So yeah, I'm I'm all for using everything that's available, that's legal, that's ethical, um, to have good duck hunts. I have my limit. My limit stops at more than a couple spinners and those vortex things. <laughs> I do not want to hunt over those vortex things. It's Isn't like that just for snow geese? I just it's no, they've got them for ducks too. Huh? Never seen them. Yeah, so I do have my limits. I want to be as on the side of a traditionalist as I possibly can be, but I'd certainly want to use spinners. <laughs> but we only put out, I really don't like putting out more than a two. One or two is plenty. These guys are rolling like seven or eight. I have to admit, I kind of eye roll at it. And, um, you know, <laughs> if you do that, that's fine. I just don't like having that much electronic, non-natural things out there. It just, I think it's overkill. I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah. No, the only th time I've heard that it's really, really good to use like six is like in field hunting. It's good to have a lot of mojos. Mm -hmm. That's what everyone says. Yeah. I don't do a ton of it. So, um, next question. Really appreciate this one, um, by Mr. Green. So, uh, whether or not to shoot mergansers when you're hunting with, with guys that are against it. <laughs> <laughs> well well you and i had that very thing that very incident yeah see all i had to do was explain to elliot the benefits of killing mergansers and how they're decimating the trout population and the fish population and and um and he he was all for it so no my thing is i don't care if you want to shoot those mergansers i don't just don't ask me to clean them and eat them i don't i don't i mean if mergansers come in you want to kill them what do i care yeah yeah, for me, it's I mean, just... That's like a status thing if you have a big issue about it. Like, oh, I don't <laughs> want to be back at the boat ramp with a bunch of mergansers. I won't look like quite the stud I think I am. <laughs> you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. I have nothing against shooting mergansers. You know, for me, like, if, if I'm taking this question as a serious question and not as like, hey, because I talk about killing mergansers all the time, um, like, on a serious note, if it's someone else's hunt and they don't want you to shoot at mergansers, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of their call, right? Um... You know, this kind of goes to a, a lot of other kind of topics we could talk about, controversial subjects. Like, who calls the shots? Like, whoever's hunted is kind of has the authority to call the shots. And if they don't want to call a shot on a merganser for any reason, you know, um, then that's kind of their prerogative. I would say, you know, I would talk to them about it. If you really are for killing mergansers, and I am, you know, save the trout. So. Um, I just don't want to clean them and eat them. I'll, I'll shoot. Um, I accidentally shot a hen merganser. In fact, the hunt I've got coming out on video tomorrow. Um, I just misidentified it. It came right in and just decoyed perfectly, and I just misidentified it. Um, but I'll, I'll shoot a, a hooded merganser drake every now and then, but I won't touch a common merganser. I don't want to be anywhere near those disgusting things. They are disgusting. They stink, but Chief will eat them if you cook them. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah, you give them to the dog. Yeah. So, no, there's definitely things to talk about. If this is a serious question, it might just be a joke. Who knows? But I'm going to take it as a serious question as it is a serious issue issue for, uh, for trout anglers. Um, but, yeah. So, 
final verdict, you got to talk to whoever is in charge of the hunt. If you're in charge of the hunt, the other guys don't want you to shoot a merganser. I'm shooting the merganser every every time, 10 out of 10 times. And also, <laughs> I do want to say mergansers, everyone, are not divers. They are a merganser. They're not a duck. They're, I can't believe how many people um, think that they're divers. They're just, they're mergans. Like, what are they? They're mergansers. That's what they are. They're mergansers that dive just like ducks. <laughs> yes. They are not a duck. Alrighty. And then our buddy Matt Lee wants us to talk about shooting hens and water swatting. You take the water swatting and I'll take the shooting hens. I well I'm off the water swatting topic now. I've talked, I've explained it in depth so many times I'm kind of burnt. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody that's new, Elliot and I have hit this topic a lot. It actually, you know, was one of our favorite pastimes to talk about, but um, we're over that now. So <laughs> water swatting. And we went on a major deep dive on this multiple times on water swatting. Yeah. Our kind of final verdict that we've, I guess we both kind of agreed on with this is that um, there's nothing wrong with water swatting. Um, as far as ethics of water swatting, it's not like a less ethical shot to kill a bird in the water. You know, you strip the bird that came all the way in your set and you're shooting them there. Um, but, you know, that being that it's kind of against tradition and tradition is important in waterfowl hunting and, you know, just in general tradition is important. So, you know, as far as tradition goes, we can, we can see the argument there. Um, it's just not what you do when you duck hunt, you know, um, as far as tradition goes, but if you choose to water swat, there's nothing unethical about it either. Um, shooting. And if you see someone doing it and you feel yourself enraged, you need to ask yourself why. Why am I so enraged? Yep. What about this makes me so angry that I want to spit venom? <laughs> and if you just say, well, it's because it's uh, not sporting, stop and think about that and ask yourself, why is it not sporting? And if your answer to that is because you're not giving them a fair chance, then remind yourself, hey, I'm trying to kill this and eat this. And so you don't really have to give things a fair chance that you want to kill and eat. Yep. So just, I, 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 I'm joking a little bit but at least either way you side as the side of the fence that you stand on this get a full understanding as to why you think that way don't just say it's unethical without being able to back it up really spend time and thought about it and and make sure that you can fully understand where you where you said i don't i don't like water swatting because it's more fun to shoot them out of the air but sometimes i will water swat and when i do water swat i don't feel bad about it in the least i knew you'd come around talk about it <laughs> All right. Um, also, shooting hens, you know, they have numbers and limits on hens for a reason. You know, I prefer to shoot mallard or mallards, drakes of any type of duck, um, just because they look cooler than the hens. But, you know, if I got hens coming in, especially where I'm living at, where limits aren't guaranteed almost ever, I'm just gonna I'm gonna shoot them, um, abide by the limits that they've set up and the restrictions they set up. And I don't think there's anything wrong with shooting hens. Do you know what your hen to mallard? You probably don't. Do you know what your hen to mallard ratio is? I know it's, it's I've uh, shot a lot more drakes than hens, but I don't know the exact number. It's probably like two to one. It's probably more drakes than that. More drakes than two to one. I'm going to go in really quickly and check my stats while I do. Um, I have pulled a complete 180 on this topic over the last 10 years. There was a point in time 
where seeing people shoot hens actually did make me upset. Um, I, I really believe that the whole idea that when you kill a hen, you're killing all the eggs and, and it's just totally irresponsible to do it. And, um, as some of the more modern, um, science studies done biologists came out and it's common understanding between amongst almost all biologists that hunters shooting hens does not affect the population. Um, it just doesn't. And so once I kind of came over to that understanding, then I was like, well, okay. Um, I guess I was just kind of wrong and, and didn't fully understand in the past. And so I, I changed my thinking. Um, that being said, I just looked in the last five years, I've got 110 drakes and 17 hens. So I very, very much try to pick out the green because it is way more fun to hold five green heads in your hand than having hens mixed in. It's just, there's something so um, special, um, traditional, just about having an all green head limit that is just phenomenal. So uh, on any particular hunt, if, if I know it's really, really slow that day and a hen comes in, I'm going to take a hen. Yeah. If I think it's going to be a great hunt, like the hunt that you and I, Jordan, on went with Titus from Mid Valley Mercenaries, Titus and I didn't shoot a couple birds each because we weren't shooting hens because we thought it was going to be so great. As soon as we realized the day was turning south, we were like, well, if any hen comes in now, we're going to take it. You know, So it's situational, but you guys have to understand that if, if you believe that it's just completely unethical to shoot hens, you are disagreeing with all of the modern day biologists and what their view is on it. So if you're willing, if you're an untrained, you're not a scientist, you're not a biologist, if you're just unwilling to um, go along with what their findings are, then I guess you can do that. But I, I tend to think that those guys who love waterfowl have devoted their whole life to it. They're studying it. They all agree on it. I tend to say that, okay, they must know what they're talking about. That's, that's kind of where I sit on that. Yep. Um, yeah, I definitely agree on that. So, um, next one, let, I me, wanted let to... me check my numbers for the, let me check my numbers for the last 10 years and see that goes back in 227 mallard drakes and 49 mallard hens. So it's pretty, pretty lopsided. Say, say that again. 227 drakes and 49 hens. That's where I'm at in the last 10 years. Nice. Yeah. Definitely, uh, some good work on that. <laughs> All righty. Um, the next one, and Matt kind of hits on this one. I'm, I was looking for it in the comments. Someone said it in a clever way, but Matt also wants us to touch on flooded corn. So um, I saw where someone put it in the comments. Uh, what's the difference, or um, they want us to hit on the difference between um, putting corn in the water versus putting water in the corn <laughs> as a controversial subject? They said what? Say that again? <laughs> um putting corn in the water versus putting water in the corn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you, are you picking up what he's putting down there? <laughs> and one, one of them is baiting. Yeah. one. Of, so if you put corn in the water, that's baiting. But if you put water in corn, then it's good hunting. <laughs> so what, yeah, are your, what yeah. are your thoughts on that, Elliot? I think some of the baiting laws need to be looked at if they're being enforced, need to be, need to be looked at because oh, some of them are kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, we need to revisit those. I think the, whoever makes the laws need to revisit them because they're complicated 
and crazy. I do not think that people ought to be able to just pour bags of corn into their marshes. Well, <laughs> so they can't. Yeah. I'm glad that that's yeah. illegal. Yeah. However, some of some of the laws as far as where you can and can't hunt in the range of, you know, certain corn. Like when we when we grew that, um, I, we had a lease and we planted millet in there. And for if we had just mowed the lim, the the uh, millet down and not harvested it, that would have been baiting. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if you're growing it and you just cut it down versus letting it stand, so and then I, you, I don't know, you push the water up higher so it's easier for them to eat, and you know, yeah. So yeah. It, it's definitely. Yeah. I think the way the best way to describe it is um, anything outside of natural agricultural processes is considered baiting so like if you want to hunt corn and but that's the weird part because you can you can make your land in a way where it's flooded and you only pick part of the corn (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. you know it's definitely i would it's such a gray area but it's just i don't know why honestly i don't know why it's allowed um if you look at the law like that the letter of the law but people are kind of going on the the gray area and a loophole in a way, and like I, I really don't have anything against it because it's fun hunting that style. Um, but you know, as far as the law, it's like yeah, it does need to be updated. If that's something they're going to allow people to do, you might the law should probably be wrote in a a, a clear, more updated fashion to kind of display that. Because I I'd necessarily I don't necessarily have anything against it, but it does seem kind of weird how you can just put water <laughs> in the corn versus yeah. putting corn in the water. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to solve that problem, but I don't know who does. So definitely a a kind of funny way of looking at it. And I can see why that's controversial to some people for sure. But me personally, it doesn't bother me. Um, and next one we got, um, what do you do about someone whose dog whines in the blind? Keep your mouth shut about it. <laughs> Nothing you can do. Yeah. Um, my Don't dog definitely. Him. My dad's dog. My dad's dog whined. His second one whined a lot. Chief whines from time to time. He only whines when after we shoot geese, and he's not allowed to get them yet. <laughs> so there are some dogs that are habitual whiners that will just sit in a blind and whine fifty to seventy-five percent of of the mo- of the minutes, and. Um, you know, if you're going to hunt with that guy, you just got to, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Learn to deal with it or don't hunt with him. Yeah. So does it bother you? Cause it's very hard. Uh, yeah, it did. It was very bothersome. Um, I got used to it. Um, but you can't breeding that, getting that out of a dog to get a dog to stop is really, really difficult, really difficult. Um, so if you just happen to have a, you put all this time and money into a dog and it's a whiner and you can't get it to stop. What, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Isn't, isn't the whining kind of a sign of a high drive dog to some extent? Cause that's what they're whining about. They want to get the birds. Yeah. I would assume probably so probably is. So but the dog that he had that whined wasn't that much of a high drive a dog. I know like Izzy's not a high drive dog. She don't whine hunting, but she whine in the car a lot. And, and it's like, what with dogs, who knows sometimes what their quirks are. Or what they're going to do. Yeah. No, for me, I've not ran into the issue where I've hunted with somebody where their dog whines 24-7. You know, I have had a little bit of issue with Chief. And, like, he gets it bad. Like, when we haven't hunted in a long time, we shoot birds and they fall. 
and he'll like be almost yelping because he wants to get the birds so bad. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of weird. Um, he's had it a few times this year, and he didn't have it before this year, so I don't know what it is exactly, um, or what to do about it. So for me, I don't think that's a controversial subject. It's just kind of personal preference. If it really bothers you, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if you don't like that or don't like the guys hunting with them, don't invite them to back or just get used to it. You know, it's your own prerogative what you're going to do in your hunts. Yep. All right. Um, last one we got. Let's talk about jump shooting versus calling and uh, your thoughts on that, Elliot. If you want to, I don't understand. Duck hunters can tend to be elitist a little bit sometimes. And I think that when we start looking down on other people who like to jump shoot ponds or like to float a river and jump shoot them that way and and guys that really look negatively on those guys, I don't understand that. When I was growing up um, in my 20s in college, we would go out and jump ponds all the time. You 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 find the ducks, you see them right on top, and especially them, you sneak, come up over the dam. It's really, really fun. Now, I have not done it for a long time, but when I did it back in there, I really, really enjoyed doing it. And they're close, clean kills, and I don't find anything wrong with it. I don't consider that to be the traditional way to duck hunt. It's certainly not the way I want to duck hunt um, because, you know, having the decoys and calling and fooling birds and what there's nothing better than watching a group of mallards just hover right down into your decoys. There is nothing more enjoyable in duck hunting than that. And that's what I'm chasing every single time I go out. And, and I can't get that with pond jumping. Now, if, if I'm out and let's say that I see a pond and I'm not on a hunt day and I've got my shotgun and I know I can jump it. Absolutely. I would do that. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not the way I want to go about my daily duck hunting business. Yep. No, and, and I can kind of see that like falling in line with that more and more. Like when I first started, man, I didn't care. I just wanted to get, pull the trigger and get on some ducks, shoot some ducks and get them in my hand. It's kind of like, it goes back to the different phases of hunting. And like for me, yeah, much, much rather now sit there, call them, work them, you know, uh, do all the scouting and have set up for a good hunt and work the birds. But before it was just like, man, whatever I can do to get on the birds, I don't care what it is, um, you know, within reason, obviously. So if I had to go jump shoot birds, if I saw them, I'd try to sneak up the river and jump shoot some birds. But it's like, yeah, it's like you said, Elliot, it's way more enjoyable to do it, having birds cupped in all the way, the excitement, the adrenaline, all that. Um, and everything that goes along with it. So there's nothing wrong with jump shooting, especially you got new guys that are hunting. Maybe you got um, uh, some younger guys who are really go-getters um, <laughs> that really want to get on some birds. You know, have at it. Let them do it. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, the only time I would say don't do it is if you're trying to save that spot for an actual hunt later on. But, um, you know, go ahead. Have some fun jump shooting. But for me, it doesn't um, give me the same enjoyment that, um, I don't want to say actually hunting, but hunting and decoying the birds does. Yeah. And I will, I will say this, if you have never had the opportunity to stalk while you're hunting, we we've talked before Jordan about, um, hunting and duck hunting be kind of a, a primal thing, but stalking, especially if you have to crawl or you're sneaking and whispering and, and trying to, that unlocks the predator side of you. That is a totally different feeling. We do it with snow goose hunting. We still stalk and, and, 
I wouldn't say we don't technically jump them, but we still stock snow geese. And there's something really primal about that when you're actually stalking that you cannot get that same emotion um, decoy hunting. That's that's really fun. If you've never done it, I would say do it a couple of times to at least feel what it feels like. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let me double check real quick, but I think I kind of hit on a lot of the ones on our list and we're kind of coming up to the hour mark so i think that's probably a good point to go ahead and wrap it up but um definitely a fun one having another one of the um you ask and we answer series so what do you think elliot i loved it i i this was a great topic and i had a blast here and i thank you guys so much for listening and and make sure that you give us a review on itunes helps us out there but this has been really fun yep so um you know, we definitely got some awesome topics coming up in the future, and we want to have some guests. I'm trying to work through a little bit of these technical issues on the live stream side of things. The podcasts are coming out and sounding great. Audio over there is great. Um, so nothing to worry about on that side. But, you know, definitely want to make sure we're, um, what do you call it, cycling on all cylinders. <laughs> Hitting yeah, firing on, on fire, all cylinders. Firing on all cylinders before we go ahead and pull some of these guests we got lined up for the future. Um, but, yeah think that's a good place to end it for tonight um you got any big plans coming up elliot what's your season looking like oh uh, well we got to hunt this saturday but i'm not sure where i'm having problems to get scouting i'm kind of in a phase of having to hunt blind a little bit I'm trying to get fumbles to do a little scouting and stuff but scouting's not easy around here you can't just drive around and, and peek from the road so i i don't know i'm not sure you know i have not had a really good hunt for quite a while we've been kind of you know getting a few birds here a few birds there so I, I need to get on a hot streak here yep yeah and for us we're um going into our second split right now we're in between first and second split of ducks we do have some geese in the area but it's just all about trying to scout them and figure out where they're at and um all that we do have some birds so right now we're getting a little bit of a cold spell i'm hoping we get a nice solid freeze and i can get some good spots on the river um but that's where we're at right now um, I've been on a little cold streak myself, um, with three of my last four hunts being skunks, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at right now. Um, well, I guess I am, I am going down, uh, the 28th, 29th and 30th and hunting with, uh, Joel Strickland down at Cypress crossings in Arkansas. Um, my wife and I are going down there. It's kind of a little vacation deal and staying at the lodge. And so I'm re am really, really excited about that. My first trip down to Arkansas which I've never done anything where, I mean, the times that I've hunted um, where I've actually paid any money is like zero. So um, I, this is a one-time thing I've never done. And I'm really excited about that. Awesome. No, that def definitely sounds like it should be a good time for you. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, hopefully we both can get on some birds here soon and um, keep the video content rolling. And, um, but yeah, that's all we got for this week, guys. Stay tuned. Um, for next week, not sure yet what the topic will be, but it'll be a good one. So anyways, guys, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we'll see you guys on the next one.